Welcome to the Wish I'd Known Then podcast, where we focus on how authors found success, looking at strategies that have taken them to the top of the bestseller charts, as well as what they've learned from their mistakes. Because being an indie author is more than knowing the latest marketing trend. It's about being innovative and creative and learning from your mistakes. Welcome to the Wish I'd Known Then podcast. I'm Sarah Rosette. And I'm Jamie Albright. And today on the podcast, we have Ricardo Fayette from Reedsy. And it was so good. Yes, it was. It was a good interview. Uh, he talks to us a lot about the different services Reedsy has. And yes. they have so many things. They're a marketplace, but they also, we talk about translations. Mm-hmm. They have a review service. And we talk about what that is and how that works. And and yeah. we talk about the indie uh how the market has changed and appealing to readers in other countries internationally. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, we cover a lot. Yeah. And I would just encourage people to go to the Reedsy site and, and look around, you know, there's mm-hmm. some, there's a lot on there that I didn't realize that they did or that they offered. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, I would really, really encourage that. So what's been going on with you this week? Well, um, so I launched the, Hardcover, the special yes. edition hardcover. Probably yes. not the best time to launch it on the week of Thanksgiving in the U.S. because <laughs> a lot of people are distracted. Yeah. But um, so I've learned a lot, mm-hmm. and we can talk about it or we can save it for later if you're interested. Um, <laughs> sure, go ahead. <laughs> so um, what I learned is that if you're doing a hardcover and you're printing the books, you mm-hmm. probably need more than three or four weeks. It would be better if you had three or four weeks because you have to, I had to order the books, have them printed mm-hmm. and shipped. And so mm-hmm. I was, and because it's a Christmas book, I was like, it's got to come out at least by early December, you know? Right. So what I did was I put up a, I put in my newsletter. I said, Hey, if you're interested, here's a Google form to fill out. Mm-hmm. So I took that, the people who were interested and I used that as the basis of my order. So I had about 50 people who were interested. So I ordered about 50 books. Mm -hmm. I ordered 50 books. And then because the deadline is close, I had to pay uh, expedited shipping, which Mm -hmm. is expensive. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to have to sell a couple books to cover the shipping. So like if you had a longer lead time, you would have more time and you wouldn't feel that pressure. Right. And um, the way I would do it, if I was doing it again, I would do that. Hey, are you interested? Just to find out if there is any interest at all. Right. And then if there is, I would do a second. um, I would go ahead and set up a sales page and Mm -hmm. call it a pre-order and say Mm -hmm. pre-order here. Because if they know they're getting it in two or three weeks, I don't think that's, I think people are familiar enough with um, pre-orders that they would be okay with that. Right. So, and I don't, cause I, cause you know that people will sign up and say, yes, I'm interested, but then they may not buy. Or right, there, it right. will be a smaller number who will buy. Right. So, but I launched it and I stamped the books with, I hand stamped the end pages and that was fun. Yeah. And they look really cool. I it learned is. that there's two types of ink and <laughs> the kind that I bought was not labeled as this type of ink. And I had to go on YouTube and do some searches and I was like, oh, so pigment ink dries much slower than this oh. other type of ink. So of course that's the kind I got. Yeah, so, of course. Yeah. So you have to, uh, I've been blow drying the spines to make sure they're good and dry <laughs> <laughs> or the end pages. <laughs> so see, it's a learning experience. <laughs> but I've, I'm so glad you did it. Now we yeah. all know. Yeah, yeah. So I'm the guinea pig on this, on this, um, premium product type thing. Exactly. Exactly. So, yeah. And I set up a sales page. And so now all that is 
good to go. And I know how to do that now. And that uh-huh. was one reason I didn't, I was like, oh, I've got to research this and figure out how to do it. So right. use the WooCommerce plugin. And then I'm using paypal.com slash ship now to mm-hmm. ship the books. And it's really cool because it's like you just go there. If you take the payment through PayPal, it has a little thing on the side. It says print tracking label and you mm-hmm. can just print it. Uh-huh. And so like it's, it's actually that's not taking too much time. I was thinking that might be time consuming. Yeah. Yeah. So that is cool. And um, we'll see how it goes. We'll see. Uh We'll see how many I sell and how many I have left. Okay. Well, I I think it's very neat. Uh, I don't know that I would have even thought of it. So I think it's a very cool idea. And I think it, it appeals to your readers. Yeah. I don't know that my readers would, would go for something like that, but, but it definitely appeals to your your readers. Yeah. So I think yeah. that's really cool. Yeah. Very and good. I think the fact that it's a Christmas book and the hand stamping on the end is snowflakes and the yes. book has a person in it who's studying snowflakes, you know, so yes. like it's all in co- yes. combined, yes. you know, yes. Yes. so, but then okay. I do have two other bits of news. Yes. Um, Binge Books launched this uh-huh. week and I'm one of the founding authors and it's a site that's kind of a combination of Goodreads mm-hmm. and BookBub. So like mm-hmm. you can go on there and you can have a list of books, you can favorite heart recommend you can you know mm-hmm. save books you can also purchase books through like they'll send you you know to the site so it has purchase links right. and they're not selling them themselves but it'll send right. you to the site and um it's like a social aspect to it as well you can mm-hmm. follow people and so so that's cool so if anybody's interested in that i'll put a link in the notes and if any authors are interested there's a place where you can go to sign up when they get to the point where there's when people can claim their profile or create a profile, yeah, I'll put a link for that. That's it's awesome. like a wait list. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. So, what about you? What's going on? Uh, well, this week my ninety-nine cent sale is running. So it started yesterday, and uh, because I can't tell calculate time differences, it actually didn't go to 99 cents until midnight in the UK. Well, that's a bummer, but I was able, thankfully people were saying, Hey, is it 99 cents in the UK? And so I was like, Oh yeah, at midnight. So, but, um, but yesterday I sold over 400 books. So that was cool. And then my page reads have started to already go up. Um, and then today, you know, it's noon or so when we're recording this and I'm already at 150. So I'm, I'm trying really hard to keep my, keep it consistent. I have newsletter, uh, paid newsletters and I have some newsletter swaps. Mm -hmm. But one of the things that I wanted to mention is that, um, we'll put it in the show notes, the, the sites that we'll do, uh, that will send people to your series page. And so because all of my books are 99 cents, I am advertised. All of my links are to my series page. So if I put it in other people's groups, it goes to the series page. The cool thing about the series page, I learned this from David Cochran, is that when you go there, if they bought one or two of your books, it will tell them the books they haven't bought and how much that will be. Or if they haven't bought any of them, it'll say three ninety six for the whole series or whatever. And they so can that's, buy with yeah. one click. They can, they can buy, buy the with whole one thing click. with one click, yeah, which is awesome. One click. And so that's very cool. And I think it's really helped. Um, my, all of the book, the first two books I have more 
clicks. I mean, I have more sales, but it's not by much. Like it seems like people are buying either the whole thing or they're buying two of them at a time or something like right. that. So, um, cool. yeah, it's really been great so far. It's only second day. Um, I am running it for seven days, so we'll see. We'll see if I can keep this going. I'm running some BookBub. Well, right now I'm testing BookBub ads. Um, ugh, so <laughs> tricky. And, you know, I'm spending money and um, because I think you have to to get, to get mm-hmm. good data. Mm-hmm. And, then, and I'm testing a lot of audiences. Um, but my Facebook ads, which I tested and kind of narrowed down to one, aud- one audience and one image, Right now, I am only running to that one audience with that one image. I may change that tomorrow, but I because I'm spending money on BookBub, I'm trying mm-hmm. to watch what I'm spending on Facebook. But that ad is just doing great. Um, That's good. really great. And um, so, yeah, it, it all really is just so far working out well. So I'm, yeah, well, I'm really good. happy. Yeah. Well, the um, the thing with BookBub ads is you have to spend that money on testing. Yes, you have you do. to do that because if you don't do that, then right. it's kind of like just throwing your money away right, because right. you don't really, I mean, I guess you could experiment and find right. out, but it'd be so much more expensive. Right, to, right. And, you know, one person that I listen to for ads, he's like $5 to test. Mm-hmm. But David Goggin says, if you've got it, $15 to test because you want to make sure you get a big, so I'm going with $15 because again, David Gogner, uh, but it today is bad. I mean, like I just checked right before we even said anything mm-hmm. and, um, things are looking a little better today than they were yesterday. So that's good. Yeah. But, um, yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's true. And I, I did the same thing. I did the higher, test I spent more money on the testing when I was trying to figure out and I think I have a pool of authors now that I could use but I don't put my books on sale that often Mm -hmm. so it's like I feel like with bookbub ads you need a deal you need an offer so I'm I'm keeping my powder dry I'll use those later yeah yeah (laughs) it's it's hard I have done really terribly like I I Mm -hmm. think I've said you know if I want to I could either spend a hundred dollars on book my ads or I could go outside and light it on fire. Um, <laughs> same hundred dollars. But in the last few months when I've had a deal, I have actually um, done really well. I, mm-hmm. I've had some really good audiences. And so, but it's short for me, it's yeah. short term, you know, Patricia, um, uh, McLean, yeah. McLean, McLean, sorry, Patricia. She was on and she was talking about how she uses them long term. And I actually saw even a BookBub article about that. Mm-hmm. And I haven't figured that out yet. So, yeah. you know. You'll crack it, though. Yeah. You're very good, good at ads and you're persistent. Yeah, I am a little persistent. <laughs> I'm like a dog with a bone. But uh, that's the great thing about indie publishing. There's always something to yeah. learn. You yeah, know, there's always something more to learn. So, yeah. yeah. Okay, so before we do the interview, I was going to tell you, do you realize that this is episode 46? No! Oh my gosh! (laughs) So we are up into the 40s. We're almost to episode 50. Yes. So I think that's a big milestone. It is. And you know what's so cool is that we get stats, and our stats 
are just amazing and we <laughs> but neither one of us can believe it and so thank you guys so much for listening you've just it's so fun to hear from you and in the facebook group and um so this has been the bright spot of 2020 for oh absolutely. i'm so glad we started this me this too. year me because too. i don't it's really helped me to be able yes. to see people and talk yeah. so i think probably for episode 50 we should do something where we do like a look back over the episodes yeah. we've done and yeah. talk about the you know ones that have been downloaded and yeah. kind of what we've learned this year. Yeah. I think that'd be good. Absolutely. Absolutely. It will be so fun. So yeah. anyway, let's get on with the interview because Ricardo has a lot of really good stuff to say. All right. All right. Today we have Ricardo Fayette with us. Hello, Hi, Ricardo. Ricardo. Hello. Thanks for having me. Oh, sure. We're so happy you're here. Yeah. So let me read your bio and then Jamie will lead us off with some questions. Ricardo Fayette is one of the four founders of Readsy, a marketplace connecting authors to the world's top publishing talent, from editors to cover designers, book marketers, author website designers, and literary translators. He's the author of several Readsy learning courses on book marketing and a regular presenter at several prestigious writers' conferences. He's also currently finishing his very first book on marketing. Very good. Now tell us when that book is, may come out. It should come out in early December. Uh, awesome. We don't have the final cover yet, so yeah, don't so have a release on, date. It's on book marketing. It is on book marketing. Yeah, it's a uh, it's a collection of newsletters that I've been sending out over the years, and that I had to completely rewrite and update to fit into an actual book. That's great. That's great. Do you have a <laughs> title? It's a great question. Uh, it's in brainstorming phase. <laughs> I was going to call it Book Marketing 101, and people told me it was boring. Uh, oh, I actually like that. Right. <laughs> keep it simple. So, yeah. All right, yeah, we'll keep I'm you updated, and we'll update the link. Yeah, we will. We'll let people know when it comes out. Thank you. So tell us how you got started writing, uh, started working with authors. Um, well, it was back in, I think, 2014, uh, and a friend of mine had this idea for a marketplace of publishing services um, specifically for indie authors because there was the early days of self-publishing back then, but quite a few authors were doing really well, like the Hugh Howies, Bella Andres, people like that, the pioneers. And so we, it was clear to us that self-publishing was really going to grow. Uh, and it was clear to us as well that authors were going to need editors, cover designers, maybe formatters, marketers, etc. So we thought about, you know, creating a marketplace where authors would be able to find all those people uh, in, in, a, in a vetted and verified way. Um, and so I really like this idea. Uh, I didn't know much about the publishing industry before then. So I attended London Book Fair. I attended a few conferences like that. I joined the Alliance of Independent Authors. I met Joanna Penn, Mark Dawson, Hugh Howie, Bella Andre. Mm -hmm. And yeah, they all said, eh, it's not that bad an idea so you can you can go ahead and make it um so we did and we created Ritzy, and it's been it's been going well that's great that's great. so how long did that take you that sounds like quite a job to create a marketplace and get set up did it take a year or longer or yeah i mean we started researching the idea in 20 2013 even. Uh, so it took us a good year, year and a half of research, also trying to find funds, building the team, adding Matt, our designer, Vincent, our developer, um, fundraising, and then creating the product. All in all, it took us a couple of years, I think. Mm. Wow, that's impressive. Yeah, yeah. 
That really so, is. Well, yeah. We ate a lot of pasta and, you know, we, <laughs> we made it work. Yeah. So is there anything you wish you'd known about working with authors and publishers looking back? Um, no, because the, the fun is in discovering it <laughs> uh, <laughs> often. And, <laughs> and it's a really amazing industry. I mean, the thing that surprised me the most is how, how 99%, how nice 99% of the people are in the industry, whether, you know, it's writers, even most agents, uh, most publishers, they have a bad rep, but most people who work within publishers are generally really nice people. So everyone who loves books and who's involved in the industry is generally really, really nice. Uh, and, and we've been lucky in that regard. One thing I wish I'd known maybe is um, known which conferences are the most useful for us as a business. Because uh, I think that was a big turning point for us as well as for Drop to Digital and other, you know, our, our friend company. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. That that's I mean it didn't take us that long to find Nink and, uh, and RWA and Twenty Books, but it did take us a couple of years. And and having that right out of that would have been really helpful to meet the right people. I mean even more than you know finding clients for Reed C or, or driving awareness, they're really good for getting a feel of the industry, getting a feel mm -hmm. of like what authors are looking for right now, what they're struggling mm -hmm. with, what they're enjoying, um, and. And feeling part of an ecosystem as well, uh, you know, yeah. feeling like you're building something for a wide uh, variety of people and uh, and something that they can really use. So it's always gratifying to see the people in person uh, and feel mm -hmm. like you're, yeah, you're building something concrete, basically, because these days everything's online and even more now. Uh, so it's nice sometimes to, to see the people face to face. That's great. That's great. So what do you see authors doing that they do because they think they have to, but aren't producing results? Uh, I'd have to say there are so many things. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we have time. <laughs> I've done them all. I'm sure. <laughs> I'd say anything that they don't really enjoy doing anything yeah. that they really don't enjoy something that you know makes their screen skin crawl but they just do it because they feel they have to that's even if it's the best marketing tactic in the world it's going to be executed wrong because their heart is not in it um, most often more often than not generally i see it being social media you know uh, posting a lot of things on twitter when you hate twitter or like trying to be active on facebook when you hate facebook uh, doing live streams when you really hate being on camera, um, these kind of things. I think blogs for fiction uh, are, are a huge time suck, uh, unless, again, you enjoy blogging. You know, there are some great fiction author bloggers out there, but they love blogging. Uh, Joanna Penn enjoys blogging, and, and she does it more for her nonfiction than her fiction. So anything that you don't enjoy doing, and especially if it's related to social media or blogging, Mm -hmm. I think that's very true. So yeah. as an author, I, I know I need to be on Facebook. I need to have a presence there, but I don't really enjoy being on there. So um, do you have any advice for people who feel like that, that there, I mean, I enjoy Instagram. There's other places that I would rather spend my time, but I feel like I need something on Facebook. So my, yeah, my opinion on that is that, the only reason you really need Facebook is, is to run ads. Um, so you can create a page on it, put a little bit of content on it, and then just send a lot of ads. And the ads are going to be the content of the page, basically. Um, mm -hmm. The most 
the interactions that people are going to be have with you are through the ads. And then you can have an organic presence on Instagram uh, and put that on the end of the books, you know, rather than say, here's my Facebook page, say, um, I only run ads on Facebook, so don't follow me on there, follow me on Instagram instead, uh, where I post pictures of, you know, whatever. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so uh, I think, yeah, for, for, for me, ads and organic are two different things. Uh, for ads, if you feel like you have to run ads, then, you know, take the time to have a little bit of a presence in, on Facebook. But mm-hmm. in terms of organic presence, it has to be organic. So it has to come from you and, and it has to feel genuine. And if you hate the platform, that's never going to happen. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. I know sometimes, especially in romance, I feel like, you know, those people that spin the plates on the sticks, mm-hmm. I feel that's how I feel sometimes. Like I got to keep all this plates spinning and some of the plates I don't care anything about. And so I have really let some things go that other people would say are really beneficial, but they're just not, um, they are a time suck for me and they just don't bring me any joy at all. And so um, I've been a lot happier. Could I have sold more books? Maybe, but I I don't think I could have sold enough that it would have, you know, moved the needle that much. It's just, they're just more social things or, Hmm. or have to things in romance. And I don't think that they're a have to uh, for me. So I totally agree with your answer because, and I think you found yourself being a lot more happy and having more time to do the things you really want to do. So that's, that's my two cents, but it's hard. I agree. I totally agree. Do you see any other mistakes that, um, authors make that we, we love to learn from mistakes and things, you know, that we wish we had known. Do you have anything else that you see that you would say authors maybe mess up frequently? <laughs> uh, yeah. I, yeah. Um, <laughs> I see something. I see some things. I mean, you've probably heard this a thousand times and, and, and I almost started off repeating it, but yeah, for me, the, Number one mistake I see is covers or a non-optimized Amazon page, uh, you know, cover blurb and to a certain extent reviews. Um, we have we have a marketing section on Readsy where people can go in and hire book marketers, you know, to run their ads or create a launch plan or, you know, have a consultation. And and I'm on there. Uh, I moonlight as a, as a marketer uh, to do some more extra work on the weekends and work hand in hand with authors. Um, and... Most of the requests I get, there's something wrong with the book. Um, so move, it's often the cover. Sometimes it's a blurb. Um, sometimes there aren't, there aren't reviews. And I feel like authors are often trying to jump the gun on, you know, this is a great book I've written, uh, so it has to get in front of people. Mm-hmm. And it's generally not ready to get in front of people. It's, it's only ready to get in front of people like, Push, push it through ads or, you know, promo sites or newsletters, newsletter swaps or things like that when the cover is as good as it can be, the blurb is as good as it can be, you know, with HTML formatting, bolding the first sentence. Uh, if it's in a series, the series metadata has to be pristine. It has to be, you know, in um, 8 to 10 categories. Uh, if you can find those, a lot of people don't know that they can, you know, reach out to KDP support and ask for 8 to 10 categories. Um, and if you run a big promo and you get to number three in a category, well, you could have been number three in 10 categories and that would have been a lot more exposure. Mm-hmm. And finally, reviews. Uh, that's that's generally the, the 
most difficult thing to get for, for newer authors because uh, you don't have your street team yet. You can only rely on friends and family, and God knows that they're not always reliable, <laughs> uh, especially when it comes to posting reviews. So, But you cannot do anything until the book you know, has a few reviews because if you start throwing money at Facebook ads, you're, you're immediately going to go, ah, Facebook ads don't work for my genre. It's well, not that they don't work for your genre. It's that you're trying to push a book that has no reviews through Facebook ads. You're sending cold traffic to a book page that has no social validation, so people are probably not going to buy the book. Right, right. Now, Reezy has a review service, correct? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So tell yeah, us about that. I've used it. Sarah's oh, used great. it. I knew that Sarah had used it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> great, great. I hope it was a good experience. It was. <laughs> okay, excellent. <laughs> it was, yeah. Yeah, I, I made an effort with the my historical series to get more um, professional reviews because right. I feel like um, – it was a closer match to traditionally published books. So I really wanted, I went after like Reedsy Publishers Weekly, you know, everywhere that -hmm. you could submit it, I did. And um, yeah, I enjoyed the, the, I thought the review that I got back from Reedsy was good quality and, and then they, they helped promote it. So I've used it again. So, so tell us a little bit more about how that works for people who are interested. Yeah, so it's it's more as you said for professional, like semi-professional editorial reviews. Mm-hmm. So um, the way it works is you submit your book. Uh, usually, we request that you submit it twenty at least four weeks or five weeks in advance of you know the the day you plan on launching it on Discovery on making it visible on Discovery, uh, and we make it available to a pool of reviewers. We have around a thousand reviewers now. Um, it's mostly people who have blogs on the side. Uh, it's not their professional uh it's not their day job i don't think there are that many you know reviewers for whom it's their day job uh certainly not a thousand but it's people who who we've vetted uh and based on the reviews that they wrote before so they should be able to write good reviews or perfect like professional looking ones uh, we make it available to them. It can only be picked up by one reviewer at a time. Uh, so it can get only one review maximum. If the reviewer doesn't like the book for any reason, they can put it back in the review pool. Uh, it can get picked up by another reviewer. We don't guarantee that the book is going to get picked up by a reviewer. Um, and we especially don't guarantee that the reviewer is going to leave a good review. So that's why I asked you about your experience, because we do get some, you know, some authors who are not happy because they don't get a review or they get a negative one. But we want to create an environment. Ultimately, this is going to be a site for readers, and there are already like over 100,000 readers on Discovery. Uh, and we want to create an environment where reviews mean something. Uh, nowadays, all the reviews you're going to see are you know, four to five stars uh, and positive because authors, you know, they pay to get a good review. Um, and we've tried to make it clear since the beginning that on Reedsy, you pay for exposure to reviewers and then to readers. But then it's up to them. Uh, If the reviewer picks up the book and says, this really wasn't good, there are a lot of problems, you need an editor or something like that, two stars, that review is going to stay there. Um, And yeah, you pay $50 to submit. So you will have paid $50 for that two-star review. It can happen. There's an element of risk with discovery that that I think authors need to understand. Uh, But I'll say that after two months, around 70% of books receive a review. And I mean, you can imagine the covers and the blurbs of the 30% that do not get picked by reviewers. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to say that most reviews are positive, but yeah, if the book if the book's good, then yeah, you're most likely to get a three to five star review. And yeah, when the book launches on Discovery, 
So you set the date of the launch and what that means basically is it goes live on our site, readers can upvote it. There's a feed of like new books launching that week and the most upvoted books get to the top. So it's a little bit of a popularity contest. Mm-hmm. And every week we include the books that have been upvoted the most and gotten the best reviews and a little bit of an editorial pick in a, in a newsletter that gets sent to, as I said, over 100,000 readers at this point. So it's a mix of a review site and a promo site for new releases, basically. Yeah. Yeah, there's not a lot of places you can promote new releases. So if you do uh-huh. get a good review, that's a good way to get in front of people. Mm-hmm. And I think the way you said it was you're paying for the opportunity for mm-hmm. reviewers to see your book. So it's not like you're buying a review. You're just saying, here's my book. And maybe people who wouldn't have seen it will read it. Well, well those reviewers will pick it up because they might not have seen it any other way. So I think That's it's right. a cool system. It's very, yeah. it's very different from what most indie authors think of as reviews, as mm-hmm. getting reviews. So it's a totally different mindset. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, that's why it's hard to explain. It takes a bit of a long time, uh, but hopefully we'll come up with an elevator pitch at some point for that. <laughs> so do you see any commonalities in writers who've been successful over the long haul? Uh, yeah, I still see quite a bit of commonalities. Um, I think nowadays, like a big thing in recent years was like sticking to your lane. Um, so, you know, if you start writing in a genre really at least they'll release two, three, four, five books in that genre. Keep going, basically. If there, if you find something that works with you, don't let the, the little uh, genies of creativity distract you and think, ooh, brand new <laughs> series over here. And and drop like uh, that amazing series with three books and 80% read through. Uh, and instead of writing book four, you know, start on something completely different. So that's the commonly, I think, uh, main common thing I, I, I see among successful authors is, uh, they stick to too long, to longer series. Uh, they write for their readers, and and they have a lot of discipline. You know, um, they try to write every day, and even if they don't really want to write that book twelve in a series, if they promise it to their readers, they're going to write it. They don't take cues from George R. R. Martin, basically. Uh, <laughs> he's in a different category than most of us. Yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. So I shouldn't follow him. <laughs> yeah. Well, so you work with a wide range of authors and genres. Do you see any trends? Like what's what's popular and hot right now? Um, I think any commercial, any commercial fiction. I mean, trends come and go. Uh, we've seen a huge boost around Cozy, Cozy Mysteries. Uh, I, I feel like every time there's a new Kalytics report on a new undiscovered genre, mm-hmm. then there's a huge boost in the genre because <laughs> yeah. a lot of people jump in on that opportunity uh, and readers follow. Yeah. I think any commercial fiction genre where you can you know, have a, have a series with really strong characters that the readers are going to stick to and that doesn't you blend genres too much, uh, where you can really make it clear to readers what the book is about, that can be successful. Right. Uh, and that doesn't break genre rules as well. Uh, for example, I got a, a few authors recently and they were writing game lit. And now the, the whole game lit genre has been invaded by lit RPG. So now if you're trying to sell anything other than lit RPG to game lit fans, it's almost never going to work. And they'd written books that didn't have stats and class levels and all the things that are required in in, in lit RPG, a little bit like the happy ending in romance. Um, 
So yeah, research the genre a little bit. If there are some really, really strong tropes that you just cannot break, uh, then don't break them. Good advice. You see, yeah, really good advice. I, um, <clears throat> this is one of my big ones. I, I really kind of harp on this, like know your genre expectations. Yeah. And if you break them, that's fine. Just know that you might do better if you don't break them. So yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So how has indie publishing changed over the last, well, I don't know, since you started, I guess in 2014, 13. I think it's become more professional, uh, more mature and more professional. Um, in the beginning, I remember the, the early talks by Bella Andre and, and a lot of people are saying, yeah, but it's easy. You self-published back in 2010. Uh, there was no competition. You put the book free for a week and it had 100,000 downloads. Uh, it was easy back then. And I don't think that's right. Uh, as she said, back then they were making fire with sticks. Uh, and now you've got all these kinds of different ways to make fire. But at the same time, you've got millions of other fires around you. Uh, so it's, it's harder to attract the attention of readers. So I think it's more professional. There are a lot more tools at your disposal. Uh, there are companies that have created just to serve very specific niche purposes, like Book Funnel. It's an amazing company um, that didn't exist you know, back in, 20, in 2010, and that serves a really strong purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, same goes for you know, newsletters, swap sites, uh, plotting sites, there, there are more and more resources in the industry. Um, so it's more competitive and you have more tools at your disposal. So it, it takes a lot more work. Uh, once you've got your, your system figured out and the tools that you use and all that, it can be relatively easy. You can enter into a system, uh, but until you get there, it takes a big learning curve because yeah, it, it's harder and there are a lot more things out there uh, which can make it hard to navigate the waters yeah yeah it was almost like in the beginning it was hard to just find the information on how to do certain things like format a book and now it's there's so much information (laughs) info overload yeah so many options to choose from yeah it's it each each is its own problem (laughs) yeah yeah. exactly Yeah. yeah So I'm using Readsy for a German translation, and I'm, I'm curious if you're seeing more authors doing translations. Is that kind of an up-and-coming thing? I hear more authors talking about it, but are, any, are they actually doing it, you know, besides just talking about it? And do you have any recommendations for authors who want to do translations? Um, yeah, I'm seeing more authors doing it uh, just because we, we released a service on Readsy and we got, you know, a few requests, uh, including yours. I'm not seeing as many doing it as I thought uh, as I thought they would probably. I didn't see, yeah, um, I didn't see quite the appeal that what, that I was expecting. Um, I think that right now, one of the effects of uh, of lockdown, uh, coronavirus, and lockdown in, in in Europe, especially, is that digital sales have grown massively in all the countries. Uh, we're talking triple digit growth and in just one month, you know, April, May, um, Mm -hmm. in France, Italy, Spain, countries that were very, very traditional in their reading habits, Mm -hmm. you know, buying books, physical books in bookstores, reading print because of the smell and the texture of the book and all that. I mean, I have the discussion with my my Spanish and and French friends all the time um, and trying to tell them how great it is to just, you know, read on on your phone, but (laughs) they don't get it. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Until lately, but huh? they, <laughs> exactly. 
And so lately, now they're like, ah, look, <laughs> I can I can get all these books uh, now while staying in my house. Um, yeah. So yeah, there's there's been a huge growth. I think the German market was already ready. So you're definitely right to start with German. And the other markets are probably going to be ready for certain genres soon. Uh, Italy was already doing okay for romance uh, in, in certain cases. I've heard, you know, mixed opinions about that. Uh, but I definitely know some authors have done well there. And, and there are, I know some French uh, indie authors who write in French and who are making a lot of money every year self-publishing, uh, which means that the market is ready for indie books in French, uh, so for translations as well. Mm-hmm. And, and that's another point. You know, there are, there are more local indie authors who also speak in English because if, if they learned all the things that they needed to learn in order to self-publish successfully, they had to speak English because all the resources mm-hmm. are in English. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you can rely on those. You can find them, you know, on Facebook groups, uh, writing communities, ask your writer friends, and you can rely on them. If you've got your French translation coming up, you can let them know, hey, you can ask them, hey, what are, what are the hot categories? Uh, what do you think would be good keywords? Uh, do you know any other authors I could cross-promote with? Uh, so there's a more international community, and, uh, both of readers and of authors, uh, that makes translation a really exciting thing right now, at least for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, That's I'm curious it. to see how it'll go. <laughs> how many how many languages do you guys offer, um, Ricardo? Uh, we do French, Italian, Spanish, German, and English to and from many others languages. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. So cool. the main European, yeah, yeah. yeah. And what's the process like? Uh, do you, do you, Sarah, I, we've talked about this, but I don't remember what you said. Like, do you interview someone or do you submit to Reedsy and you guys handle all of that? I'll let you answer it, Ricardo. <laughs> You're the expert. <laughs> all right. <laughs> so you select a few people you want to reach out to. It can be, uh-huh. you know, anywhere from one to five translators. Right. Based on the profiles, uh, the previous books have translated, the work experience, all that. And they get back to you with messages or directly quotes. Uh, what The kind of translators we've selected, we've had chats with all of them, and we've explained that we're looking for translators who are going to work on a fee basis, so no royalties, mm-hmm. no royalty share. And um, translate, translators who are able to deliver a final product. So you're not... They make that clear, but you're not hiring just a translator. You're hi- generally hiring a team, uh, and they're going to have someone edit their translation afterwards right? Uh, and prove the translation as well, and also translators who can help a little bit with the marketing, you know, translate the blurb, mm-hmm. translate some headlines or, or copy for the ads. There's a help. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, mm-hmm. so, so, yeah, we've tried to basically handpick reviewers, uh, sorry, translators who are not only very, very experienced and have worked on great books in the past, but who also are a little bit more indie uh, mm-hmm. and that they're not just looking to deliver an unedited translation and, and wash their hands off of it. Yeah. Yeah. And you have to, I didn't understand this when I first got on the site, but like I did a search, I found some translators that I was interested in. I reached out to them and um, you also have, like you can request a Trans, a quote for a translation, but then you also have, a, I forgot what it's called, like an assessment uh, where you can, like, if you get a sample, you can mm-hmm. have other people check it for you. Cause that's part of the problem is like, I know 
one other author who actually speaks German. So I had her look at my translations. But if you don't know anybody, that's where you would use the assessment. Is that right? That's right. Yeah, we had a translation assessment as well as a service that you can, you know, uh, re- request from translators on Reedsy. Mm-hmm. Because as you said, a lot of authors, they get a translation maybe from a friend or from someone they don't know, and they're not sure. And they publish it and they start getting bad reviews and like, is it a problem with the translation? So that's why we added the, the assessment one. It was a big one. I think it was probably Bella Andre and her translator who gave us the idea uh, uh, back in the days because her first translations into Italian were terrible. They were, they were amateurish and she started mm. getting very bad reviews and the books didn't sell. And so she had to redo the translations completely, pay a lot more money than mm. she initially paid to for the translation. Mm-hmm. Uh, to get it professionally done, and then the books did well. Um, so yeah, assessments yeah. are a good way to see, you know, if the translation's at fault. So would you do that for just a sample, or would you do it for the whole translation when it's complete? Or does um, it matter? You probably want to start with a sample, uh, unless, you know, you're hiring someone you're 100% sure of. Right. You can have it done, you know, double-checked uh, on a sample. Yeah, good idea. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, I have. I've only got one translation. It's in uh, Portuguese in Brazil, and it's through mm-hmm. the publisher. But I've always wondered if my romantic comedies would translate well. Like in Portuguese, the one of the reviews because she loses her granny panties in the in the book. They translated it panties of the grandma. And I, I thought that was hilarious, but I'm not sure it translates really well. So we'll see. It just, it just came out about a month ago. But yeah, panties of the grandma. I love that. So um, what do you see coming, um, Ricardo? Sorry? What do you see coming in the future with uh, the publishing? Hmm. Um, more translation, as we mentioned. <laughs> yeah. uh, more, more audio as well. Uh, since the you know uh, Kobo, Google Play, Apple, they're all pushing for audio. So I think audio is gonna is gonna keep growing. And I'm not sure. I have, I've never been really that big of a visionary when it comes to new things. <laughs> in publishing and I don't think I don't think there have been, you know, any major any major new things. Right. Uh but probably small, you know, small small incremental improvements, uh, especially probably to the Amazon advertising platform. They've been making a lot of changes recently. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've also seen series pages uh added officially to KDP. So yeah, basically I've seen a lot of small changes like that by KDP and Amazon advertising for KDP in the past few months that lead me to think that they've placed an emphasis on it again and we might see more features, more new features coming from Amazon that are actually features that authors were expecting uh, for change. Uh, so maybe, hopefully, crossing fingers, uh, they're starting to listen to indie authors more. Right. It would be awesome, yeah. Yes. So since you're, <laughs> since you're international, I was thinking like, I know like the market is very, the ebook market is very centric to the U.S. So do you have any tips for like appealing to readers in other countries, like being yeah. based in a certain country and appealing to the world? I mean, like I know using uh, geo-targeted links is good. And maybe thinking about your marketing copy and stuff that it's not 
focused on the U.S. Do you have any ideas or suggestions for that? Yeah, it's a tough one. I'd say make sure you, I mean, it's basic, but make sure you've got the book available everywhere. Uh, a lot of times you can forget to take some countries um, and make sure you've got an attractive pricing everywhere. Like go through the extra trouble of, you know, putting pound ninety €1.99, <laughs> so that you end up with like, you don't end up with €2.12 or something that looks a bit weird. Um, so ter- using territorial pricing, all the distributors have that option right now. Um, so it's, it's relatively easy. And then relying on promotion sites because r- running ads uh, or trying promos that are specifically directed at non-US and non-UK countries is generally really tough. Uh, it's going to be hard to be profitable there. Um, but uh, promo sites, they spend ads, like promo sites, I mean, BookBub, you know, written word media, places like that. They spend a lot of money on ads, on Facebook ads, to attract readers to their mailing list, and they don't spend that money only in the US, so they have more of a global audience. And, and BookBub is a great example. They've got readers all over the world, and you can actually you know, target by country, uh, I think, for BookBub ads. Um, yeah, so, so it shows that they have a, a big global country. So rely on those promo sites to gain a little bit of a footprint and hope for hope for word of mouth in those countries. But other, other than that, other than ensuring the availability, the attractivity the, of, of the price, it's hard to focus you know, on, on these other countries. I think yeah. it's going to happen naturally as you promote your book for the U.S., basically. Right. And something, I, I was just listening to David Gogren's uh, BookBub thing because I've got a promo running this week and mm-hmm. so I'm running BookBub ads. But he made the point that, you know, countries like UK, well, Canada and Australia in particular, but UK, you know, the, the books there are priced higher. So a 99 cent deal in those countries is super appealing. And so you want to learn how to, to run those ads where you can specifically target those countries. Um, and so that's, that's just something really interesting and, and something that I think a lot of authors don't really think about because we're, you know, the U S does have the largest market. It's just, you know, but thinking outside of that is, is that's a good right. idea. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. Book ads are great for, for granular targeting, you can, mm-hmm. you know, tell it, you can target only audiobook listeners, you can target yeah. only specific countries, uh, followers of very specific authors. So it's, it's where you have the most, the most room to really uh, laser, laser target people. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Right. All great tips. And a lot of them are uh, like, you know, like you were saying with optimizing your Amazon page, you know, bold the headline and check your pricing. It's not like, rocket science but it's easy to overlook the simple things and they can make a big difference so it's very true yes especially when you've got long series um, yeah it can get very daunting to go back and uh, do an audit of the whole series you know make sure that all the books are in enough categories the headlines and all Mm -hmm. yeah i get it it's tough yeah i went back last year and redid all my keywords and descriptions for one of my older series and the keywords were terrible. They were like <laughs> travel mystery, you know, and like travel is in the title, you know, it was like things yeah. like that, that I was like, Oh, this is so bad. So it does make a difference. And I have more sympathy now to traditional publishers who have like thousands of books. Right. I know, I understand now why they don't update categories and they don't yeah. change descriptions. Cause it's just it's a it's lot of work. 
it's a yeah. huge, huge mess. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, thank you for being here and sharing yes. with us about Reedsy. And so can you tell people where they can find out more about you and Reedsy? Yeah, for sure. Uh, so Reedsy is on our website, so reedsy.com, R-E-E-D-S-Y.com. Uh, if you if you use the top menu, you'll see all the different stuff uh, that we have: uh, our free formatting tool, our free courses, our blog, Reedsy Discovery, the site for reviews, a marketplace. So have a have a play around there. And if you want to reach out to me personally with any question, um, I have a very easy email address: Ricardo at Reedsy.com. Um, so yeah. Always happy to hear from from other authors. All right, sounds great. Thank, Thank you for, for being, being here. here. Yeah. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah. Sure. So we'll have all the links and everything at um, wishidknownforwriters.com, and we'll see y'all next week. Thanks for all listening, right. everybody. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Wish I'd Known Then podcast. We hope this episode inspired you, empowered you, and made you laugh a little bit too. If you loved it, tell your friends about it, and if you feel so inclined, leave us a review. We look forward to being with you again next week.